The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock-knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh! oh my god, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good, how you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man, what's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't beat me. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid up, they knew they could kick the out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute. You weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two men power trip of First lady of WWE, Maria. Oh, she found Mike running a, a Hallmark store somewhere and fell in love. <laughs> Over the top rope. Oh, and face first into the apron goes Mike. What a heartwarming story. Mike ends up taking her name. Yeah, John, what do you think about that? That's a little different. It's different, but you know. Oh. Jessica Alba's husband. Oh, into the barricade. Oh, so John, hey, happy to take her name. Let me ask you, are you impressed so far with the debut of Mike Canellas here? Absolutely. He made it to SmackDown Live. Are you kidding me? This is the best of the best. Fine. You never made it here. I'll tell you what's happening right now is Canellis is getting his butt handed to him, courtesy of Sami Zayn. Oh. And now Sami Zayn caught here by Mike Canellis. Canellis hammering away on Zayn, who's trying to get back into the ring. Oh. And look, there's no shame in that. Look, Sami Zayn is an incredible competitor. Oh, he caught with a big clothesline by Zayn. It's Mike Canellis' debut match. Look at Sami Zayn is on fire right now. There's nothing wrong with losing a match to Sami Zayn. Hold on a second. Oh, oh, so the exploder into the corner. Yeah, Mike Canellis probably thinks he's still on his honeymoon. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Oh, oh, and Maria Canellis, his wife, is getting in here to protect her husband. Maria out of the right hand. And Mike Canellis takes advantage. Are you serious right now? Up on the shoulders here. Oh, and Power a love. Oh, and driver cover. A 
And Mike Kanellis has beaten Sami Zayn in his debut. Wow. Here is your winner, Mike Kanellis. Power of love. How about the power of your wife protecting you? Nothing wrong with that. It's the power of love, Byron. You see, Byron lovers can be fighters. Lovers can also bend the rules, too. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is your host, JP John Paz. And on today's flagship episode, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire, we welcome in the miracle, the prodigy, the former Ring of Honor and IWGP World Tag Team Champion, the former TNA X Division Champion, the former WWE 24-7 Champion, Mike Bennett to the show for a great epic interview. Just awesome stuff. And just want to mention this. Of course, today's episode is brought to you by the United Wrestling Network, UWN Primetime Live, every Tuesday, available on Fight TV and also on In Demand, your traditional pay-per-view as well. This is going to be some great stuff coming up from them in the future. You can actually go back if you're on Fight TV and watch all the past shows as well. You can get a, a cluster of, of pay-per-views together if you want to order them in a bunch. You could do it weekly. Whatever you want to do, Fight TV is really the place to go for United Wrestling Network. Prime Time Live, and they have a great world title tournament for UWN coming up. Guys that are in it. Include Eric Redbeard, aka Eric Rowan. You got Darren Young, aka Fred Rosser. You've got Chris Dickinson. You got Peter Avalon from AEW. And of course, today's guest, Mike Bennett. And he'll be wrestling in the first round of the tournament, Davey Boy Smith Jr. So this is a power packed lineup. This is going to be a great tournament. You got a lot of big names. You got some up-and-coming guys like Carl Frederick and Watts in it as well. So, I mean, this is going to be a really, really fun tournament, a really great tournament. It's one of those things when they first announced it, you're like, ah, they, you know, they're going to put a bunch of guys nobody heard of. No, everybody in the tournament has a name. Everybody brings something to the table. And obviously our guest today, Mike Bennett, might be the biggest name in the tournament. And maybe... The front runner, but I don't know. Davey Boy Smith Jr. in the first round. It's going to be uh, hard to beat him for sure. But as far as the interview today, I mean, we run the gamut. It's such a great, fun interview. He, Like he says in the interview, he is an open book. He'll give you uh, long answers. He'll give you straight answers. He's going to do no bullshit. There's going to be no kind of going around things. Ask him about Paul Heyman, give me a very direct answer. Ask him about Vince McMahon, give me a very direct answer. So you'll hear all about his WWE run his WB exit, what he kind of feels about it, what he feels about Maria being released at the same time. Did she want to be released? Did he really want to be released? you find all about that in the interview today. I really think you're going to enjoy this one a whole hell of a lot. It's one of those ones where you're just like, wow, I can't believe how honest he is. He is just a, totally an open book. Some guys say they're honest, say they're open book, and then they're really uh, shut in and they, they close the book and they close the door and they don't give you answers. He is leaving that door wide open. He gives you great answers, not only about his time in WWE. Obviously, we'll talk about his match versus Nick Aldis for the NWA title. And, and we'll talk about how it may have been cut short. And it was probably shorter than you, you would have thought, but it ended up still being a great match regardless. We'll talk about his run with TNA and Impact Wrestling. We'll talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling. We'll talk about Ring of Honor and his great run there. We'll talk about Nick Searcy, the legendary actor, Matt Hardy, the kingdom. We'll talk about the Briscoe brothers and everyone in between. So 
Strap in for a really fun one today, folks. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. You're, you're really going to like this. Just want to mention, also part of the a two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire, University of Dutch with Dutch Mantel, Taking to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard, Rick Bassman's Talking Tough, Shane Douglas's Triple Threat Podcast, Justin Credible's Pro Wrestling 101, Lavi Margolin's Trump Mania, and last but certainly not least, Taskmaster Talks with Kevin Sullivan. So you can find out all about that on social media via my Twitter or Instagram. That's at Two Man Power Trip. Or you can check out my website, tmptempire.com, for the latest and greatest involving the two-man power trip of wrestling. Now, without any further ado, I'm going to pass it on over to some two-man power trip of wrestling's business. And then, thrown on over to the interview with the former Ring of Honor and IWGP World Tag Team Champion, the former TNA X Division Champion, the former WWE 24-7 Champion, the Miracle, the Prodigy, Mike And now, for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Two Man Power Trip, and at Raslin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Mike, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Automatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. Joining us on the line right now 
is a former Ring of Honor and IWGP World Tag Team Champion, a former TNA X Division Champion, a former WWE 24-7 Champion. You may know him as the Prodigy or the Miracle, but he is Mike Bennett. Mike, welcome to the two-man power trip over wrestling. Hey, thanks for having me. What an introduction. Man, I feel like I'm an actual star with that introduction. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Uh, so, thank you for having me. Truly appreciate it. So what's going on in your world lately? I know UWN is huge, Primetime Live, United Wrestling Network. It's starting to blow up. So what's been going on with you? You know, uh, kind of what's been going on with a lot of the world, trying to figure out what the hell comes next, um, trying to pick and choose the shows that I do, trying to keep my name out there, trying to stay fresh and stay wrestling. And uh, so just honestly, it's a lot of like uh, uh, puzzle pieces, trying to piece them together. What shows should I do? What shows can I do? Uh, obviously, UWN has been a huge uh, influence in my post-WWE career, which has been a, a huge blessing for me, for them to have reached out and to keep this ball rolling. Um, and now they got the uh, world title tournament coming up. So that's been really fun, and that's really helped me get my feet wet uh, and kind of back into the independent wrestling scene. So that's that's really it. It's just like I feel like it's like most people, especially in the wrestling industry, trying to figure out what the hell comes next and who's running shows. And if you do decide to do a show, are they safe? Can you do them? Um, and, you know, just hitting up old friends, trying to figure out where I go next. Love it. And obviously, you know, with UWM Primetime Live, kind of uh, got a big boost with you versus Nick Aldis for the NWA world title. Obviously things yeah. didn't go your way, but what did you kind of think of the match and everything went down? It seemed like for, to me, you know, to maybe the, the layman here, it was cut a little bit short on the time-wise, but what did you think about the match? So it's funny. It's, it's, um, I love the match. First of all, it was, I mean, the whole thing leading up to it, the 10 pounds of gold, um, Nick, honestly, like what he helped me do my post WWE career was, I can't thank him enough um, because like, I didn't know what was going to happen after WWE. I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know how people were going to perceive me. Um, and then having him reach out to me and being like, look, I'm trying to change the perception of you. Cause I know what you're going through. Um, and to have him do that, it's just like, I, I can't say enough nice things like that. I feel like that whole program really put, uh, put me in a different light in people's eyes. Um, but as far as the match goes, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. We did, we got our time cut, um, which is frustrating as a performer, but um, we had like 25. We ended up having 12 to 15, which really kind of throws you off your game a little bit when you have to go out there. Uh, but I feel like both of us have been doing this a long enough time where we knew how to kind of piece it together. And then looking back on it and, and talking to people and watching the match back, I, it's, it, I feel like it actually made the match better. Because it, it, it felt like that's the way the match should have been. It felt I was very desperate, um, and I felt like it should have been go, go, go like that. And I think it actually helped set up, hopefully, a rematch in the future. Um, so, again, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I think it was a blessing in disguise where we had a 25- to 30-minute match planned. But the fact that it got cut, I think it actually helped the story and helped the match itself. Absolutely, I agree. Sometimes you, you think a match is going to go longer when it goes shorter. You kind of actually end up liking the match more because it's more unpredictable. You're like, wow, that kind of went, uh, no, not the way I thought it. And as a fan, you're like, well, that's better because you don't want it to be so predictable. Yeah, and I think I think sometimes as wrestlers we get caught up in the fact that we're like, oh, we got 30 minutes, we want that 30 minutes. But if it's entertaining and it gets the point across and the fans were happy, 
I guess we're just kind of feeding our egos at that point as wrestlers. Like we just should shut up and be like, no, that was good. That's exactly what the fans wanted and just move on from it. And this week wrestled uh, J.R. Kratos, big win, kind of getting you back in the fold. And then they announced that you'll be a part of the big title tournament. What did you think about this week? It's obviously completely different. You're in a completely different match, a completely different role. You got a you know, different part on the card. Yeah, you know, uh, this week was actually a lot of fun for me because uh, I had never wrestled with Kratos before, but I'd seen his stuff, and he's very much uh, he very much has a style that I enjoy in wrestling right now, where it's very much like an all Japan pro wrestling kind of uh, strike for strike, hit for hit, uh, kind of see who's going to fall down first. And I've been uh, I've been very much on this all Japan. Uh, Noah kick where I've been watching all sorts of Kobayashi, Kobayashi matches and I've just been watching all these and so when they put me with him I was like oh man this is kind of the style I've been dying to wrestle um, and it, I don't know man it just it was it was really exciting for me it was really I, I really wanted to see if I could go toe-to-toe with the guy and like you said it's entirely different match than I had with Nick um it was an entirely different style. I think we wrestled like 20, 25 minutes, and it was just a lot of him beating the hell out of me, which I'm currently feeling today. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, asked, I, I loved it. Whenever I can get hit and get hit hard, it just it wakes me up and it brings me right into the match. And I'm like, all right, let's go. This is going to be that kind of match. I always, I always used to joke with my wife when I was in Ring of Honor, the person who I liked working with the most was always Jay Briscoe because he would always hit me with like a boot a big boot early on in the match that would just connect with me so hard. And instantly it's like when you get hit in football and it wakes you up and you're like, all right, it's go time. And it was always that way with him where he would hit me and then I would hit him. And then we were both like, okay, it's going to be like that tonight. Let's do it. And then we'll say sorry when we get to the back. Which is funny because some guys are probably like, damn, you know, that guy stiffed me or whatever. And they might get right. upset. You're the opposite. You're like, yes, finally, you woke me up. Let's go. Bring it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's how I am. And I tell a lot of guys that. I'm like, if you hit me and it's it's hard, but it's safe, I don't care. If you hit me and it's unsafe, if you punch me in the tooth, I'm going to be a little mad. Uh, but, if you, you know, if you hit me where I'm like, all right, that woke me up a little, I, I'm like, all right, that's how it's going to be tonight. That's great. That's a good way to kind of handle it. And obviously a, a different style with UWN and with, you know, who you got coming up, I think that's going to be very key because David Boy Smith Jr. is definitely strong style with a mix of some submissions and he's got a good ground game. So it's definitely kind of right up your alley. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's, uh, I, I believe we worked once before on an independent show, but I have a, it was a long time ago, so I have a feeling this match between me and him was, is going to be entirely different than the first time we ever we ever wrestled. Like you said, he's very much into that Japanese strong style, and I'm, that's been like my bread and butter since I got released, so I'm so pumped for it because I know he's going to hit me hard, and, and I'm just – it's just going to amp me up and get me ready to go. And I just, I absolutely can't wait. And I just, I, I know how talented he is and, uh, and I, I know what he brings to the table and I know the training he does. Cause I follow him on social media and the guy's an absolute beast. So I'm just, I know we'll probably go like 20 or 30 minutes and I'm just super excited about it. What do you think about, you know, not, not only him, but the kind of the rest of the field of the tournament? Because it does seem pretty stacked. If you really just look at all the names and all the guys, it's like, wow, you know, this is a pretty important title that, that they get in a lot of good names for. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny, man. Like, I, I didn't know who else was in it until they announced everybody yesterday at the show. And seeing guys like like, like Eric and uh, Pete Avalon and Dickinson, and like, it's just, to me, I was like, wow, they really brought, they really brought it this time for this tournament. And it's such a, it's such a mix of guys too, where it's not just a certain style. It's not just a certain company. It is guys from all over the country who wrestle all certain, all different styles, who've been to all different companies or who represent different companies. And like, I think, I think the person to look out for though, I think the sleeper is to look out for Dickinson. That dude's been on fire for a long time and he's been killing the Indies He's, he's, I know like he, dudes deserved a break in this industry for a long time. He's deserved some sort of name recognition more than he's got now. He deserves to be working for a major company somewhere. So I feel like, I feel like he's got a chip on his shoulder and I've been in the ring with him before and I know how good he is. And I think he's even better now than when I was in the ring with him. So he's someone that I, I'm looking forward to watching in this tournament too. Yeah, when I talked to David Marquez weeks ago, I was saying, like, you know, who to look out for? And he mentioned Chris Dickinson. I was like, oh, I didn't even realize he was coming to UWN. And he's like, yeah, we're going to feature him a lot. So it's good to see, you know, like an East Coast guy going all the way out to the West Coast. And they know who he is, and they're very familiar with him. And he's definitely getting, a, you know, the quote-unquote big push from UWN, which is great to see. Yeah, man, he's he's um, he's one of those guys who's been doing it, who's been going at a good pace and have been he's been consistent for a long time. Um, and then I feel like over the last year or so, even with, even with the pandemic and everything, his name has kind of exploded. And then he recently did the, the match against Moxley at, I think it was at Bloodsport and like, he's, he's really pushing it hard. He's been doing really good stuff at UWN. So yeah, I definitely think he's someone that everyone needs to watch out for. Carl Fredericks is another guy that I think uh, obviously new Japan is, is all over him, but he's another guy where it's like cool to see exposure he'll get from the tournament for being with all the other big names yeah man and that's the thing and that's kind of what i think is really cool about this tournament is there's a mix of guys who have name recognition and some guys that have some name recognition and then some guys that don't have too much uh but i feel like a lot of people a lot of the the guys that are in the tournament are pretty well established um even if they haven't been to like a major promotion or, or, or anything like that. But I feel like it's a really good opportunity. And even for guys who do have a name, like, uh, like Eric or Rowan or Redbeard or whatever they're calling him now, I feel like he has a opportunity to kind of uh, be seen in a different light because uh, I know how good he is and I know how fantastic of like a wrestler he is. And he never really got to showcase how good of a wrestler he was uh, at WWE. So I'm looking forward to that too, to see, what he's like outside of the WWE bubble, because I think he's going to surprise people too. He's a big guy, but he can move. Um, and I used to travel with him. He was actually one of my road buddies traveling when we were both on SmackDown together. Um, and he's got a great mind for wrestling and he, he might surprise people and he has the opportunity to change people's perception. Absolutely. And it's interesting, Darren Young, Fred Roster, who's obviously in maybe better shape than he's ever been. He'll be a part of it. Watts is in. I mean, he's got it. It's definitely like an eclectic group, but it's a good group. I, I think it's going to be a good tournament. And I think a lot of eyes are going to be on it. Yeah, I do too. And like you said, it's, it's a good group of guys, but it's, it's so scattered and such a different, um, like you said, eclectic group that I think it's going to surprise a lot of people. I think you're going to see different styles and, 
But I think the, I think there's enough talent in there that those styles are not going to butt heads. The styles will, will mesh well together. What do you think about having too many titles? Not that they're doing that, but do you think that that's what's going on in wrestling today? Maybe there's too many titles going on? Yeah, I think there's such a thing. But I think it's also if I, – I feel like the person that's holding the title can make a title. So I think we do oversaturate it. Like I think – like a 24-7 title, I think that's just oversaturation. I think sometimes, I think, like, fans get to the point where you're just essentially introducing titles to just kind of either boost ratings or boost attendance or boost interest or whatever, and there's there's no real meaning behind it. And then you can tell instantly when these titles don't mean anything, when they're switching hands every single night or people don't take them seriously or stuff like that. And I, so I think there is a, a line um, a line to draw. But I also think it's on the guys, too. I think it's on the, the workers and the wrestlers to give importance to the title. If I'm a champion in a company and I carry that title around like it doesn't mean anything, then it's obviously not going to have any importance. But if I carry it around and I talk about it everywhere I go and I talk about how important it is, and, and that is when it starts to have meaning. And if every wrestler had a title and talked about how important their title was, they'd all have meanings. But I feel like nobody takes certain championships and uh, they don't really, they don't hold them in this high regard. Like I won this and it's important to me and this signifies what I've done and who I am. Um, And I, I think guys need to do that more. Um, I think we as wrestlers need to give more prestige to titles as well. We need to, if a company only has two belts, two titles, and then, if you're one of the champions, you're talking about how it's, you know, you're the luckiest guy. You work the hardest. This has been your dream. This is your title. You'll take it anywhere. You'll defend it to the death. All those things. Like, you've got to give meaning to these titles, and that's on us as wrestlers as well. Of course, Fight TV is you know, a big part of this, in demand with uh, UWN Primetime Live. You think that with you know Fight TV and these kind of internet pay per views, you think that's making independent wrestling grow despite this pandemic? Because it seems like when when these shows pop up, you know, I read, oh, you know, Talking Shop of Mania did did crazy numbers, or this show did crazy numbers. Despite the pandemic, I feel like Fight TV and these different platforms are really kind of hitting the hitting home runs. Yeah, I feel like um, I feel like Fight TV has found uh, kind of a goldmine in these independent shows that are trying to run shows but can't be in front of a crowd but still need to bring in some sort of an income. And, and, you know, and I think it's giving – because I know for me as a wrestling fan, all I have to do now, because I follow tons of wrestlers on Twitter and a lot of what, like, clearly the algorithm of Twitter is going to bring up wrestling things for me, um, I'm always in tune with what all the indies are doing just by going on Twitter because of Fight TV. And because guys are putting up GIFs or GIFs or whatever, however you pronounce it, constantly for each show, I think you you stay in tune with what's going on, and people can build their name and build their brand. And I really think it's I think it's helping independent wrestling. And I hope, which I'm pretty sure it probably will, once crowds start coming in, I hope they continue to do it. Like every show is streamed because you can get it out there to people. People can follow storylines. They can follow who your champ is. They can learn how a wrestler wrestles. I mean, so many of these, I mean, I know UWN has helped guys be seen at AEW and WWE just by running these shows weekly. So I think it's really important and I I really hope they keep it going because I think it's, uh, 
I think it's a turning point in independent wrestling where we can now consistently draw in even more eyeballs to the product where it's not just Joe Schmo running a promotion in wherever and only the 20 people that are in attendance can follow along. It's, it's worldwide because you just post that on Fight TV. If they're streaming it, then you post it on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Like now millions of people can follow along. So I, I really, I think it's a really good thing for independent wrestling and I hope they keep the trend going. So with you, I mean, I think a lot of people will think WWE, you know, your run there, that'll be something that always kind of pops up. You being Mike Canellas instead of Mike Bennett, what's your kind of just overall thoughts? Um, like WWE bringing you in, but you not using the Mike Bennett name. You know, it didn't, it didn't really bother me because I knew how that company worked and I knew like trying to take my own name would be an issue because they want rights to everything and they clearly can't have rights to someone's real name because it's, it's their real name. Um, but when they, when they told me it was Mike Kanellis, my first thought as a worker was that is really good heat because I know a lot of people will be upset for whatever reason, upset that a man took his wife's name because for some reason in America, that's not allowed for who knows what, uh, but that would be heat, especially with that fan base. Uh, so it, it really didn't bother me because in my head, I was like, a name is a name. And I'll just let my talent speak for itself. And if this is going to be a way to get, you know, get heat from the crowd instantly right out the gate, sure, no problem, I'll do it. But then they decided not to do anything with it. So then it just kind of turned into, it kind of turned into nothing. It was like, oh, I just took her name because I'm less than her and she's the bigger star. Like it just, there was no story behind it. It just became like a, uh, like a novelty act. Like we're just going to give you her, your, we're going to give you her name because that'll really be funny. Ha ha ha. But we're not going to do anything. Like it just got lame to me. Like if you had a story and you had a purpose and there's a reason behind it, which is what I was told to, from the beginning, then great, let's do it. Let's run with it. But when you just kind of drop it and then you just do it for shock value, I think it just, it becomes lame and stupid and no one can really run with that. For sure. I mean, they kind of, the creative department was definitely lacking for sure. Just in general, but especially for that storyline, it's like, okay, you can kind of, like you said, have instant heat. Let's do something with it. Let's build them. Rhea Callis has a name. Everyone remembers to recognize her. Obviously, if you come in, you use that name. It's like, oh, I hate this guy for whatever reason. It's like, right. oh, this is so annoying. Why is he doing that? You know, why is he pink? You know what I mean? Like, it, it'll definitely right. be instant heat. Yeah, and I think there was just never, like, a lot of things that that, that happens in that place. There's there's not, not a, a lot of thought that goes into things. They think about the shock value instantly, and then they don't – there's no long-term. There's no – in-depth story it's it's just kind of like we're gonna do shock tv it's it's jerry springer it's just it's it's bad television of bad creative we're gonna do this and then we don't really have anywhere to go well you gotta have somewhere to go you can't just do a shock value every single week and keep you know having guys take their wives names it just like like you said there's no there's no long-term planning there's no there's nothing behind it it's just the shock value for shock value's sake so who actually, like, signs you when you actually come in? Is that, like, a Paul Heyman thing, a Johnny Ace thing? Who's the one that actually brings you in? So it really it – just, it just really determines where you're going. So usually down at NXT, it's, it's kind of like a Triple H, William Regal, Canyon Seaman type thing. Um, I ended up reaching out to Triple H, and he was the one who started getting me get the ball rolling. 
but once the ball gets rolling, then you start dealing with different people at, at, at for the main roster where it's like Mark Carano um, and he'll start dealing with you like that. So a lot, it, it's kind of mixed, but it's kind of not. Uh, you, you just reach out to who you know um, and then wherever you end up going, if you go down to NXT, you'll probably end up dealing more with, with Canyon Seaman and William Regal. If you go up to the main roster, you're going to deal with Mark Carano more. Gotcha. So when you actually come in, was Heyman, like, was he booking at the time? Was he in charge? Or, or I mean, was it just no, really No, he, wasn't, he wasn't there at all. He wasn't even, I mean, I think he might have been doing stuff with Brock, just on screen. Um, but as far as creative or anything like that, I, I'm, as far as I know, um, he wasn't doing anything. Weird, because I don't know why, like, the internet just, like, is obsessed with certain things. They're like, so Mike Bennett is a Paul Heyman guy. And, like, that, you just get <laughs> well, that, I mean, like, So it is it is true that Heyman helped me get signed. He, I've reached out to him. He's uh, he's always been, a uh, like, a, a, a really big mentor. He's, he's uh, him and Maria go way back. Um, so when me and Maria started dating, I started talking with him, and he helped me out with a lot. So there is a lot of Paul Heyman influence on me, and he did help me out quite a bit, uh, reaching out to people, helping me with emails and phone numbers and putting me in touch with the right people. Um, and then he was extremely helpful when he was there. Um, he, he, he was always brutally honest with me. Whenever I needed an answer, he always gave me uh, – and I don't know how other guys feel, and that's fine. I can only speak from – my personal experience, but he was the one I talked to right before I asked for my release because he was always brutally honest. And he told me straight up that he said, they just, they view you as a good hand and that's all they'll ever view you as. And I went, at least someone has the balls to tell me that. Um, And I was always very thankful that he essentially told me how everyone felt. And then I could be like, well, I'm not going to work for a company that just views me as a good hand. I want to be more than that. And so that was kind of like where I, had the turning point and the change in my brain where I was like, all right, it's, it's time for you to ask for your release again for the third time. So when you're kind of asking for your release and obviously he gives you good advice, like honest advice, which maybe may surprise some people, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> what they say, you know, if you listen to a lot of, uh, of course, yeah, that's why I said, like, I know people have their, but there's certain people that like, I can only tell you how I dealt with them and how they were to me. And so, I don't ever want to explain someone else's experience with someone else because they could have a reason to dislike them that I know nothing about. I can only tell you what I went through with him. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's, uh, I wish a lot more people did that. <laughs> you and me both, dude. Cause it's funny. Like, you know, even like friends, like, Oh, you like that guy. Oh, he screwed me over. Like never right. had that experience. Like, and I yeah. never dealt with that. Yeah. And I'll deal with it if it happens, but you know, it's, I can I can't talk bad about someone who's never treated me badly. I just can't. With him and, and him telling you, you know, you're a good hand. It's how they view you. Where's what does he get that from? You think he's getting that straight from the tops from creative? Or you think it's like a, a mixture or like he's getting a, a group opinion? No, I think he's telling me what's being told to him. Um, and the thing with like the thing with WWE is no one ever tells you what's going on, and that's always the issue. So. My big thing was, I'm a grown man. I'm 35. I have two kids. If you don't like me, if you have a problem with my work, tell me so we can fix it. Or if we can't fix it, let's, let's figure this out. Let's either let me go or maybe there's a different role. Like, I don't like, uh, like passive-aggressive. I don't like 
uh, oh, you figure it out on your own. I don't like playing games. I don't like politics. If there's an issue, tell me, we fix it, or we don't. That's how I've always been. That's how I was raised. That's how I like handling things. There, if something goes wrong in a match or you do something wrong and it pisses the boss off or it pisses someone else off, nobody tells you. There's always just this, this heat hanging over your head of, like, you did something wrong, but no one's going to tell you because we're all children. And it's just it's so unbelievably annoying that when you finally get someone who's in the meetings and in the rooms and is like, oh, this is how they view you and this is how it is, you're like, thank you. You want to give them a big kiss on their face. And you're like, just be honest. Be a human. There doesn't have to be these games and politics and wrestling. It's, it's, it's phony make-believe fighting where we wear tights and we wear trunks. We don't have to take it so seriously. We can put on the best product possible by just being honest and open with each other. We don't have to pretend we're still in high school and stuff like that. And that's the part that always drove me crazy. And whenever people in that company told me honestly how they felt about me, I was like, wow, I'm talking to an actual adult. This is fantastic. You actually don't just keep it inside and you tell me and we can work through this. So I think it's one of those things where he's in the meetings and you know, maybe because we were friends before, he decided that it was time to just be brutally honest. Maybe he wanted to, I, I don't know what the reasoning was, but, uh, and I don't know, you know, where he heard it from, but I trusted him and I, I, I think I made the right decision. What did you think of Vince? I mean, everyone has their own opinions of Vince. Very standoffish. Was he open, approachable? What do you think about Vince McMahon? You know, it's. <laughs> I I am having a hard time. I, I, I don't like to say anything negative about people. I just, I don't. Vince is always good and good to people and nice to their face. But some of the things he's done lately, I just, I, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around. And it's hard for me to uh, be okay with the way he treated my wife. Um, I'm okay. And I say this to anyone who asks I asked for my release. I was ready to go. I asked for my release eight months before the pandemic happened. So do I have every right to be pissed that they didn't release me then when I could have gone and worked somewhere or picked up another contract and then they released me when I couldn't go do that? Yes, that does piss me off. But as far as getting released, I knew I was getting released. I wanted to go. My wife didn't. We talked to them time and time again about uh, firing me but not firing her and that I wanted my release and she didn't want her release. We were adamant that we were two separate talents and you treat us differently. Not only that, but she had more experience with that company. She was there for almost six years before the second time and then three years on the second run. So that's almost 10 years of service. And to release a woman who's in her maternity leave after giving 10 years to a company and then just fire her in the middle of a pandemic I'm sorry. I think that's just a real lousy thing to do to a person. And people can, I'm sure once they hear this interview, they're like, you're just bitter. Get over WWE. I don't think that's bitter. I think that's just humanity. You have someone who's given you 10 years of service, sacrificed 10 years of their life to your company. Then she's on maternity leave and you're going to fire her when she can't go and work somewhere. Why? Not even to save money because they're making money hand over fist. So I don't understand. It's just vengeance at that point. And I just, I, that, will, that will always piss me off. And, of course, all the firings come right from Vince. So, again, you do something to me, I don't care. You hurt my family members, now I'm pissed. So get out of that what you can about my thoughts on Vince McMahon. 
All right, hey, I got you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm with you on that one. I mean, that that would definitely uh, not be a, a good experience. I can, you know, I can see the the frustration uh, there with him, especially because if you read the the money line stuff, they were still making money despite the pandemic. I mean, making a lot of money. Yeah, I just think at a certain point, and this goes for everything in life and in business, because I know there's always well, business is business. Yes, fine. But we're, we are literally in a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic, and sometimes you put business on the back burner, especially when you're set to make record profits, even if you fire zero people. You could probably hire people and make record profits. So the fact that they decided to fire a woman who's on maternity leave after giving 10 years of service, I'm sorry. I just – you put humanity at that point. You go – you know what, we're going to see how this plays out. We have enough money to keep these guys so they don't have to go home and worry about where they're going to get their next paycheck from. No company's really running right now. We're going to make sure our guys are set before we go and fire everybody for whatever reason. What, like, who knows at this point? They're making tons of money, so I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, that was kind of the weird part. You would think that those firings happened because they were losing money or, you know, something right. happened with the pandemic, but you know, they still had those TV deals, the Saudi Arabia money. So it was one of those like kind of confusing things where it's like, wow, like the rich get richer, I guess, because they didn't need to release all those guys, but they ended up you know, making even more money for, you know, for the stockholders or themselves. So it just seemed like rich getting richer kind of thing. Yeah, I think a lot of it was personal too. And, and, and no one will ever admit that, but I think a lot of it was – like I think a lot of it was a lot of people that got fired or released or they, they fought for more money in their new contracts. And with me, I had asked for my release and, and this and that. So I think a lot of it, I think a lot of it was probably pers- personal and, and, and a certain level of like uh, vengeance and no one will ever admit it, but you can always feel it. Because you asked for your release earlier, like they they wanted to get you back, kind of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I knew I I knew the minute I asked for my release publicly that I was going to piss people off, and that was the point, because I was being ignored. Nobody like I had asked for my release privately twice before, and I was either blown off or I was promised things that never happened. So this last time, I had sent a text message to them, and I was just. Flat out, I said, I'm done. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk to any about, anyone about it. I said, I don't want to come back and work there anymore. Please just let me out of my contract. They didn't get back to me for like five or six hours. Head of talent relations didn't get back to me for five or six hours. And at that point, you go, you can't really disrespect someone anymore. Like, you're obviously, you're not using them on TV. They're doing everything right. They're trying and then when they finally like, that's enough, you don't respond. You're, you're talent relations. That's your job. You're supposed to respond to talent. What are you doing if you're not responding to the talent? And I got ignored. So I went, all right, I knew what I did would piss them off. And that's kind of the point. You kind of go, all right, well, you have your cards. I'm going to show you my cards. I have social media. I can take this to social media and show everybody that your company's not that great to work for. And I think that pissed them off and that's fine. Um, And I think it was a matter of like, all right, um, you did that. We'll get back to you. Pandemic, you're fired. And whatever, eye for an eye, I guess. I'm I'm a grown man. I can handle it. But you can't tell me there's not a little bit of of vengeance in that. Yeah. It, it you know could be. I mean, I, I don't want to say yes for sure, but uh, you know. Oh, and of course. And that's why I said no one will ever admit to it because you can always just say, 
No, it was business, which I don't understand how it's business when you're making record profits, when you don't have to fire a single person. So it's, to me, I'm like, uh, there's going to be something else there. And the interesting thing to me is, and, and I don't know like how you felt about it. Did you think like the, when they were using you on TV, I mean, as a fan, you just kind of, your, your mind's all over the place. You have no idea what's going on, but do you think like when you ask for your release and they give you like a weird storyline, like obviously Maria's pregnant, but they pretend, you know, they don't know who the father is. Do you think right. that's a punishment at all? Like as a fan, like that kind of goes through your head, but then you're like, that's just a storyline. Who knows? Right. So when it was happening and for like, uh, I don't know, maybe like a few months, after it happened or even longer than that, I didn't, I didn't think it was punishment. The more I learn and the more I go back and think about it, you can't convince me otherwise because that was just not a good story. They knew from the instant, I guarantee you from the get-go, they knew that I was, it was always just going to be made to look, make me look bad because, but that's, that's how they work there. It's childish. It's foolish. Instead of trying to put on the best product, it's like, let's do a storyline where we embarrass one of our wrestlers why? Like, what is the point? And that's, that's where I don't understand where people stick up for them. Sometimes they're purposely trying to embarrass a wrestler by using TV time, advertising money, paying the wrestler. Like, it's so incredibly childish and foolish to me that my mind can't comprehend it, that you would waste that much money and that much time just to prove a point that, Oh, I can embarrass you if I want to. Great. Cool. Uh, awesome. You got one up on me, Vince congratulations. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what he, what he expects. You're a 74 year old man and you're still trying to get the best of guys who have dreams of working for your company. I just, I don't I can't comprehend that mindset because to me, if I ran a company like that and I could make guys dreams come true or, or, or anyone's dreams come true just by giving them a job, I would hold that power like so responsibly. But instead, it's just thrown around like it's this joke in this game that you can just mess with people's lives like that. Again, I can't comprehend that. I don't understand that mindset. Yeah, and it was almost like you know everyone kept saying like Tuck or whatever, like Tuck holds storyline. They were saying like you know like like what is this stuff? Like what is Heyman right. doing? You know what is what is Vince doing? What are they? This is crazy. It was one of the things like this is to me as a fan is punishment. But then you're like I don't know anything. I'm just a fan. You know what I mean? I'm just a fan. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know anything. But you know it actually. Like you said, it really could be because it's childish. It, it is. And when you work there and you know how everything else works, the, the, the fact that that could be a possibility is you, you almost believe that that's the reason why. Because you know how crazy things go there. So when they, if someone said to you, oh, they'll do a storyline, they'll put you on their main show just to embarrass you, that's not that far out of the realm of possibility. You're like, oh, yeah, that's that, that probably happens all the time. And it's, again, it's just not something I can comprehend. It's so stupid. It's so childish as, as a 35 year old man, I'm like, you're 40 years older than me. Grow up. Like seriously, grow up. You're, I, I just, again, I, maybe I'm crazy and I'm sure a bunch of fans will attack me about this, but I just, I don't know, man, you got kids. I got, I can't understand it as an adult. It doesn't make sense to me. And it's funny, years ago, I remember I asked Al Snow about it. He's like, no, nah, they would never do that. So I asked Dr. Tom Pritchard. He's like, oh, of course they would do something like that, embarrass you. He's like, what are you? And obviously he would know. I mean, he worked there forever. So it's like, why would they do that? He goes, there's no point, but they would do that. And yep. I'm like, isn't that wasting time and money and TV time? He's yep. like, they don't care. So I just like laugh. I'm like, because when people say it isn't true, I was like, well, I asked, you know, an expert. And he kind of yeah. says, 
they 100% do do that and would do that. Yeah, and the thing is, like, when you're in the WWE bubble, you try to convince yourself, like, oh, they wouldn't do that. So the whole time you're doing it, you're like, no, they don't. people don't know what they're talking about. It's, it's because that they want to do this storyline. And when you get out of the bubble and you look back at everything and your conversations with people, you're like, oh, yeah, that was 100% made. To, like, how could I not see the writing on the wall with that one? And it's funny, like, you know, they give you the 24-7 title, but then you lose it to Maria. So it's one of those things where it's like, no, he's winning a belt, but it's more of like a comedy thing with the OBGYN yeah. and that stuff. Was that to you was like happy almost like to have TV time, but also, you know, look at it with like a stink eye or a crook eye. Like, yeah, yeah it's kind of. So that stuff never really bothered me as much as like, you know, so the stuff that always bothered me was. If I'm going to announce that me and my wife are having a baby on national television, that's personal. And you're now taking away moments that we get to tell our family that uh, we get to have, you know, those are special moments for anyone that has kids is what you get to announce to your family and your friends when you're that bothered me to do that and then have it not go anywhere. That bothered me to do the gender reveal on TV before we told our parents and stuff like that. And to be told, Oh, this is going somewhere. That bothered me. When you involve my personal, like when you involve my son with the promise that you're going to do something and then you just renege on it because you can, because you're Vince McMahon and you don't give a, uh, sorry, I don't know if I can cuss, but you don't give a a crap about people's lives because you're an egomaniac, like that bothers me. When someone gives you the privilege to let their personal life into your show, you should hold that and you should hold it, it with great respect. Because I don't think that's something to play around with. And when people give you that honor to do that, and I don't care if it's making fun of someone's or, or, or doing a storyline about someone's addiction or doing sto- a storyline about someone's real life parents or doing something, a storyline about someone's children. When someone gives you that honor, I think you hold that with respect. But unfortunately, Vince, Vince doesn't. Everyone's a puppet. Everyone's a game. And he has little respect for anyone that works there. So to me, those are the things that always made me upset or pissed me off. The 24 seven stuff. I actually had a blast with, I thought it was fun. It was goofy. Our truth is the greatest human being alive. So like getting to do that stuff with him, I have, I don't have enough nice things to say about him. So doing that stuff, we just laughed through the whole thing. That was always fun for me. Um, but like, like I said, it's the personal stuff. It's the personal of, oh, your unborn child's going to be part of this and we're going to make jokes about how we don't know who the dad is. If I give you permission to do that, like y- you, you give something in return or at least you don't, you don't throw it around willy-nilly like it's some other storyline. But unfortunately, that's what they do. And if you think about it, it makes obviously Maria like look bad. Like you're not the father and she's, she's like okay with it and like making fun of you. So it kind of makes her look bad too. It's like, yeah, he's not the father, but I don't care. You know, it's kind of strange. Right. And especially with, especially if you know, there's not going to be a payoff. So I don't understand when they know there's not going to be a payoff, but they're constantly telling you, Oh, there is going to, if there's a payoff that puts me in a better position when she leaves to go on maternity leave, like that helps my family. That helps my income. That helps my name power. So all that stuff helps me. But if, you're, if you know you're not going to go forward with it, you're essentially telling us to do this just so we can embarrass you. I don't know how, how else you could look at it. You know, it's, if there's a blow-off or a plan to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this, this, and this, so eventually Mike can do this, and then we'll do this with Mike, and then you can go on maternity leave, then we'll bring you back, and there's all, the, there's all this stuff going on with it. Cool. You understand it. 
But when they know that there's not going to be a plan, you're just doing it to embarrass two people. For what reason? And just to, I, I don't know. I, I, it just, it's so incredibly mind-boggling to me that sometimes I, I start to think about it. Most of the times I don't think about it. But when I'm talking to people and I think about it, I'm like, it's just so dumb. Like, why can't people be normal? Just be normal, Vince. Be normal. I'm kind of surprised that creative, like when they come up with storylines, like you said, Shock TV, don't you sometimes write the end first and then start building the storyline so there's no ending to a lot of the stuff? Like well, creatively, it's not like, I don't know, it's, there's no payoff, which means it sucks for the fans too. Yeah, and so you would think, and most, and I guarantee you most of the writers that are there want to write that way, but that's not how they work. You have to, you write based on what you think Vince wants to see. So if whatever reason Vince is really into clowns this week, there's going to be a ton of storylines about clowns. Even if everyone's like, this sucks. There's just going to be a ton of storylines about clowns. Why? Because that's what Vince wants to see is clowns. And they, people, just like people work there, like you wrestle a certain way to, you wrestle for an audience of one when you're there. You always wrestle to what Vince likes, not what you think the crowd likes. You're always told this is what Vince likes. So this is how you wrestle. Um, And it's the same thing with writers. This is what Vince likes. So this is what you write. And it's unfortunate because the writers always get the short end of the stick where they get blamed for everything, but they're actually super intelligent. They're fantastic writers and they do, they never get the credit they deserve for the amount of crap that they have to put up with. So really Heyman or, or um, Bruce Pritchard, whoever, you know, would be in charge of creative, not really in charge of creative. They're just kind of putting the show together and Vince is really in charge of creative, right? Yes, all that stuff about, oh, we have executive directors now, that's just to pop stock markets and to pop ratings and stuff like that. Yes, are they in that position? Sure. Do they bring Vince ideas? Sure. But at the end of the day, if Vince doesn't like it, it's not happening. It's still Vince's show at the end of the day. You still wrestle and perform for an audience of one. Every single guy and girl there do it. You wrestle for an audience of one hoping that he'll like you enough to give you a push, and that's how it works. There's no, like, I'm going to wrestle because this is the best match for this show, for this crowd, to, for this television show. Nope. You wrestle because, oh, Vince is really into this. Vince really wants you to do holds today. Vince really wants you to do this. Or Vince really likes it when guys do that's That's just how you wrestle. Kind of seems, you know, like that's not really working for them. If you really kind of look at the ratings, <laughs> you know, it just keeps going down and down. There's no kind of breaking like through to Vince, there's nobody that could say anything honestly to him. I'm sure people have tried, but I mean, I don't know. I think you get to a certain point in life where you think, you know, everything. And I mean, I don't know. You're talking about the same guy that wanted to embarrass a, a husband and wife on TV for whatever reason, by making fun of their unborn child. You know, you're, you're talking about a guy that thinks it's, it's funny to make fun of a, a guy's addiction on television. So I don't know if there's really a whole lot of rational thinking or a whole lot of like, oh, we can talk to this guy genuinely because I don't, I don't really know if it exists. I just know how I feel. I wouldn't want to make fun of someone's addiction on television. I think that's kind of lousy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell someone, oh, we're going we're gonna to use your unborn child as a storyline, and I promise you it's going somewhere, and then knowingly it's not going anywhere, and then just cut it off. Like, I don't know. I just – I think you. I think people know all they need to know, and I think the right. Like, I think it's there. I think people just. I, I think we try to put 
WWE and WWF and nostalgia and like we grew up on it as kids, so we can never view it as this terrible thing, but it's, it, it really is the way they treat their employees, the way they handle things, the way they're handling this Twitch thing right now. It's, it's just not that great of a place to work. Yeah, Twitch, Cameo, you know, they're going to basically take over their, uh, I guess you call it third parties. Basically yeah. you're gonna, um, they're going to take that over and, you know, whatever they're, they're going to do, but they're going to be the ones that are controlling it, even though it technically was the wrestlers. Do you think that that really belongs to the wrestlers and not WB if they're using their own names? If you're using your real name, they – I wish all the guys and all the girls would challenge them on it because I don't think they, they don't, they don't have a pot to piss in when it comes to people's real names. If I want to go and I want to work at home Depot, they can come and try to stop me from working there, but they can't legally. They can't tell me once I leave WWE, they can't tell me what they technically can't even tell me what I should and shouldn't be doing as is. If you're technically an independent contractor, you hire that person for that job and then you're done. And so, yes, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. I don't, I think they're getting, I, it, it's greed to me. It's like, you know, it's just where can we make more money and take away more money from guys who aren't making as much money? It, it's just, it's, I, again, it just comes down to it. I, it's pure greed and it's pure evil. I can't see it any other way. These guys are making, they're busting their asses to make money on their own, and you're going to now come in and swoop in and say, hey, not only are we taking your, your stream and your ability to connect with your fans, oh, we're also taking that money, and we're going to put it towards your downside, so you'll also never profit off it too. Oh, and we're also going to dictate when you are and are on. When, so if you're a guy who's not on TV a lot, but you have a killer Twitch stream because you're big into video games, like, that's your bread and butter. That's where you're keeping your name relevant. Now they're going to take it, and, and so you're not going to be able to keep your name alive on Twitch now. They're not using you on TV. Again, it's just – I don't think a lot of people realize all these things and why these guys do it. And there's so many guys there that don't get TV time or aren't being used, that they use these different platforms to try to keep themselves relevant because, again, this company can now fire you whenever they want, clearly. So they can just make you completely irrelevant and then fire you. And you now have to build your name back up. It's just, I, I, I just, I don't understand it again. It's why are they trying to hurt their own employees so bad? These are the guys that are killing yourselves. They're killing themselves for your company. Without them, you have no company. These are the guys and girls that leave their kids, leave their, not only that, leave their kids and leave their, their husbands and wives in the middle of a pandemic where they're risking their life every single day to put on your show and you're going to try to take more money. You should be giving them more money saying, thank you for coming out during this pandemic. Here's more money. But instead, no, of course, big time Vince McMahon wants to say, no, we're going to take your money. Why? So you can have $2 billion instead of a billion. I just, it makes no sense to me. I don't understand it. And it just, again, I'm sure there's tons of people that disagree with me, but to me, if you can do something and you can do the right thing and help people out, that's just the way I was raised. You help people out when you can. You don't take from them when they're in their like lowest moment. I heard that. I guess he got wind of how much Big E and a couple of them were making on Cameo, and you know, obviously, you know, AJ and those guys doing the Twitch, and he's like, "What the hell? What? You know, I, you know, I, I got to be getting some of this money. That's, yeah, that's, that's kind of the what you what hear. What the hell? I, you know, I, I only have a billion dollar house and billion dollar cars. I need like that." 
let's take money from Big E, who's not a billionaire. Like, I, again, that logic, it makes no sense to me. I just, I don't understand. Oh, well, we gotta, we're going to make record profits this year, but let me take money from guys in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's real, real nice. Let's run more charities with that. Like, I just, how, how do you, and then how do you come up and be like, oh, we're going to run charities for people who lost their jobs in the middle of a pandemic? Like, I just, the, it's, I, I got, it, it just blows my mind. The level of just arrogance is, is, is it's mind numbing to me. With WB, is there any kind of positives coming out of it? Like, did you enjoy 205 Live? Which is interesting because are you even anywhere close? Aren't you way better than 205? <laughs> Looks wise, you know what I mean? Like, okay, right. 205 Live, maybe, are you, were you happy with it? Did it make sense to you? Yeah, see, I love 205. I had a blast for the sole reason that we were allowed to have matches and uh, Vince didn't touch them. He didn't care about 205. It was such a blessing that he didn't care because we could just go out and have these matches and not have to worry. I had the most fun I had at WWE when I was when I was on 205 because the guys there are awesome. It was usually Adam Pierce who I love. He was running it, and like it was at the end of SmackDown, so everyone had already left. Everyone in Gorilla had already left. We could just go out there and have the matches we wanted, just have fun. Um, and I knew at that point I was like, I'm this is I'm just in, I'm I'm here just to collect a paycheck and have as much fun as I can in these matches because I knew how the company viewed me. I knew how the boss viewed me. So it was just, that part was so much fun. I enjoyed two Oh five immensely. Call me crazy, but you might be like what? 25 pounds heavier than two Oh five. You know what I mean? So like- I actually dropped down. I dropped below two Oh five. Cause they asked me to, I got to about 200. Wow. Really? Usually okay. I sit around, I sit around two fifteen is my normal weight. Um, so I, I did drop weight for him. They asked me to, and I said, sure, I'll do it. Um, but yeah, I'm back up to 215, and I feel more myself now. Interesting. I, I always was like kind of laugh sometimes, um, you know, when they do that stuff like Disco Inferno back in the day, WCW, they showed him working out and losing weight. Matt Hardy and WWF working out and losing weight to make right. the you know, to make the weight limit. Just, to me, sometimes it's funny. It's like, do they realize some of that stuff? But that, that is interesting. They did realize it, and they wanted you to cut some weight. Yeah, and the thing is, I think people always think I, I weigh more than I do. I got chicken legs, man. I got skinny legs. So <laughs> I, I was always told it was an upper body business. So I got skinny legs. So I, I'm sure if I put on some weight on those, I'd, I'd be well over like 220 or something. But I got I got the genes of my dad giving me chicken legs. <laughs> With, you know, the whole WWE run, at one point, like, you signed an extension. Like, at that point, were you thinking, like, oh, this could work out, and then you kind of realized, you know, a few times, like, okay, I got an extra release. Did you at one point think it may work out? Yeah, because I was told it would. Again, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where I just want – there's part of me that was naive and gullible, and, and I, I always see the best in people. That's just how I am. Maria always makes fun of me for it, but that's that's how I am. Like, I – but it, and it, it bites me in the ass sometimes. And so when we were talking to uh, Mark Carano about re-signing, we were told, yes, if we pay you more, we have to use you more. We also went to them and we told them, we're thinking about having another child. So if you want to put Maria on like a legends contract or do something else, we, we tried to work with them with that. And they said to us, Nope, we're, we support families here, so we support if you want to have another baby. So anyone that says they were mad about us 
having our second child, they're full of it. So it's either one of two things. Either people that are saying it don't know what they're talking about or we were lied to in the negotiations. And either way, whatever, I, I go off what I'm told. And so we were told we would use you more. Not only that, but they were throwing around a ton of money, having kids, knowing we wanted to have a second. All these things added up. And there's still that little part of you who thinks about, oh, that 12-year-old Mike Bennett always wanted to work at WWE, always wanted to be a WWE world champion. So you still hold on to that dream, even as, like, even as a, a, as glimmer uh, or your light tends to dim and you see like, all right, this place isn't what I thought it would be, but there's still that hope. You still try to keep that hope alive because it's been your dream for so long. So all those things kind of came into play when you're re-signing that contract. And then we got to the point where I realized they were just full of it and they were just trying to keep me to keep me. They didn't want guys hopping the ship to AEW. Um, and again, I, I should have, I should have been smart enough to realize that. Um, but I wasn't and you resign and then instantly, like you said, you finally get to that point and you go, yeah, this, I just, it, my happiness wasn't worth it anymore. I just wasn't happy. And I, I, I was bringing it home. Uh, and once you start doing that, it's just, you get to a bad place and being a recovering drug addict, I was like, nope, not going that road again. So you just, you, you make the decisions that are best for you. And I think, I think sometimes it's hard for people to understand where they're like, Oh, you really complained about making all that money. Yeah. Because money doesn't mean shit. If you're not happy, it means nothing. And I, it's, it, it just doesn't. And I was way happier when I was making less money and doing independent shows and stuff like that. And I'm just a firm believer that if you work hard and you bust your ass, things will come to you and you, and the way you want your life to be, will you know, will eventually play out if you just work hard and you're kind to people. So I keep that in my mind all the time when I make these decisions. I'm like, you got to be happy at the end of the day. And it doesn't matter if you're making a bajillion dollars or you're making $25. If you're miserable, no money in the world is going to make you happy. Were you happy when you were with TNA Wrestling when you had that run with Impact? Was that, or was that almost like getting you to the next level, almost like stepping stone kind of thing? Or did you kind of see a, a spot there? No, I, I was very happy. Uh, there, there was always – here's the thing with wrestling. Every company, every place you go is always going to have its issues, and you weigh the good with the bad. Um, that's, and that's life, I think. You work anywhere in life. You'll always have places that have – good things and they have their flaws. Um, no, I loved working at impact. They used me, they treated me with respect. They like, they appreciated me. And there was always just issues with pay, which I know they don't have that problem now, which was always the only negative about, about working there was when they stopped paying guys or they would miss checks and stuff like that. That's always, but that was just old ownership. And now new ownership has completely eradicated that problem. So it's, I, I look back at my time at Impact and I look back at my time at Ring of Honor so fondly. And those, those companies, uh, not only did they treat me well back then, but the way they're handling their companies during this pandemic, uh, I wish more people would talk about that. I wish more people would talk about the fact that these companies who, uh, you know, aren't as big as WWE or uh, aren't, you know, on that same level are not firing people and, I just, I think, I, I just think we should be talking about the good things in wrestling, and that to me is one of the good things. 
Ring of Honor not firing people, Impact not firing people, AEW not firing people. I think that says a lot, especially during times like this, and I wish we would talk about that more. And it, there are actually a lot of them, uh, actually all three of them, are bringing guys in yeah, kind no, of left, exactly. left and right. Yeah. yeah. Not only did they not fire anybody, but they're actually – they're actually like they're putting on good quality television and they're bringing guys in for opportunities. So it's like, yeah, again, you go, that's the stuff we should be talking about. Let's, let's get away from the evil empire and let's talk about the real actual quality things that are happening in this industry. Yeah. But ring of honor is definitely stepping up. Obviously they're doing the, the bubble and the pure title tournament, kind of getting back to the basics. Is that a place you kind of would like to kind of go back to? Absolutely, man. Uh, I think I've been pretty open about that. I, uh, my friends are there. Matt Taven's there. It's just, I look back at my time there so incredibly fondly. Uh, they, they treated me so good. They booked shows around my wedding. So all the boys and the girls could come to my wedding. Uh, I just, you know, I, I don't know. You, you obviously again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you sit there and you go, man, I had it good there. But, again, five years ago, the way the wrestling industry is now, it's entirely different. So you can't base your decisions back then off what you would do now. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I still talk. I still talk to the guys there. And, uh, yeah, I, I love it there. I don't have enough nice things to say about that company, honestly. When you look back at Ring of Honor and your run there, it was like they obviously saw something in you in 08 and in 2010 when they signed you and then going forward – Always, to me, we're in, like, a good spot where it's, like, a learning opportunity. It's like, okay, we're going to put them with Carino. We're going to feud them with Lance Storm, right? They always kind of put you in a good spot, but also, like, a learning opportunity where you're going to get a rub from the guy, but you're probably going to learn something during the feud. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what I loved about it. And I always, I, to this day, even when I was doing those house shows down at NXT, I always thank Carino for putting me over and teaching me so much and just being so incredibly kind to me when he didn't have to be. Um, and he treated me so, but there were so many guys in that company that went above and beyond for me, like Lance Storm. And then even like Kevin Steen always used to go to bat for me. And he just treated me so good. And the Briscoe brothers, I remember like the way they helped get Maria over as like a strong, powerful female when they didn't have to do stuff like that. Um, and even, you know, even like the Bucks feuding with me and Taven and like, there's just, there's so many people that did things to help me out there that, it's like, I don't know, that's the way I view wrestling. That's the way it should be. You you get something and then you pay it forward for the next guy. Um, you know, I think Abyss said it in like one of his speeches at, it might have been the TNA Hall of Fame, but he said when you finally get to that peak of the mountain, the first thing you do is you turn around and you reach your hand out for the next guy coming up because that's just what you do. And that's that's how I was raised. That's what I believe. And Ring of Honor very much has a system like that where it's like you're the guy, but you reach your hand out to help the next guy up because that's how we keep this company going. That's how we keep this, you know, this engine running. And that's, that's what I believe. And, and Ring of Honor did that for me. And again, I think that's why, I think it's why I feel so strongly about them and why I hold them in such high regard. And obviously Ring of Honor tag team champion with Taven at New Japan, the IWGP tag champ with Taven. Good buddy of yours, you said your friend. The Kingdom was was you know a strong force in Ring of Honor with Adam Cole and obviously Maria. Did you think you know as you're there like this is great chemistry? I can work with my friends, but we'll also be you know a great force on TV. It's like a good marriage. It's like uh, got good chemistry on camera and good chemistry off. 
Yeah, I think I think if you talk to a lot of people in wrestling, they'll always tell you whether you're, uh, it's your opponent or it's your partner or it's your group that when you you surround yourselves with your friends, it always tends to be your best work um, because you know each other so well. Uh, I mean, me and Taven and Cole, we used to travel the road together. We would drive together. We would talk to each other. We would figure out, we would solve all of wrestling's problems on a, a road trip from uh, New York City to Boston. You know, like that's, that's just what you do. So that comes out on television and it parlays onto what you're doing on the screen. Um, so I think when, when Matt Hardy left and it was just me and Cole and Maria, I think uh, Ring of Honor knew, I think we all knew that the best solution for this was to bring in someone who's a real life friend, was to bring in uh, Matt Taven. And he even did it when, after me and Maria left. Like that's the reason TK and Vinny joined the kingdom is because we were all, we were all buddies together in New England and, and they were starting to get a look at at Ring of Honor because you know that when you work with your friends, you just tend to bring stuff out of you that you just don't get with people you don't really know. Um, and so I, I feel like people can always feel that chemistry when you're working with your friends. No doubt about it. And the, uh, the four fingers, are you guys horsemen uh, marks or is that just <laughs> the kingdom thing? You know what it was? It was always just kind of like there was four of us in the group. And I think one of us was just like, what if we did this? And then someone else was like, that might piss people off. And we went, who cares? Everything in wrestling pisses people off. Like even if we didn't, even if we came up with a new hand symbol, they would go, you can't do that. That pisses me off. So at a certain point, I think you just get to it where you're like, I'm just doing this for fun. If it pisses people off, well, if I wore the color purple, that would piss somebody off who hates the color purple. So, you know, you just kind of, but don't get me wrong, huge horseman mark also. So yes, <laughs> yes to all of it. You know, I thought that Nick Searcy, you know, the Peabody Award-winning uh, star, <laughs> Nick Searcy, was going to join the Kingdom and wrestle. But he's he's such a big, you know, he's such a big fan. He was he was so much honestly, uh, he was so much fun to work with because he's such a huge wrestling fan and he wanted to do whatever. And I just remember he he was involved in that match in Nashville, and I think Mark Briscoe hit him with the the froggy bow elbow drop, and he came to the back and he was like, "Yep." I'm not going to walk for a week straight. And anyone who's <laughs> ever taken that froggy boat was like, yep, I know what you're talking about. That's awesome. He, uh, I did an interview with him a, a couple of years ago and I talked about uh, that. And he said like, the guys probably had no idea how much fun he had. Like he's such a big fan and who knew like he's such a big fan. Oh, I mean, he, he was talking yeah. about the nature boy, Paul Lee and like, wow, like he is a big fan. Crazy. Yeah. And it, it was really cool too, because at that point, I was big into the show that he was on, Justified. So mm-hmm. I was just like, yep, this is awesome. I was on Cloud Nine, too. I was like, I, I turned into, like, Chris Farley on the Chris Farley show, where he's like, you remember that time? That was awesome. <laughs> that was me backstage with Nick Searcy. I was like, remember that time you were on Justified and you did this? <laughs> that was so cool. Yeah, I turned into the biggest uh, the biggest fanboy alive. Uh, to Paul McCartney, remember the Beatles? He's like, yeah, yeah, I remember the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, that was totally me. Was one of your kind of high order marks in Ring of Honor when they obviously pair up with New Japan Pro Wrestling, War of the Worlds, 2014? You're wrestling Tanahashi, you know, at, at Hammerstein. Is that was that one of your you know high water marks, big moments? You know what? It definitely, uh, it definitely is, and it definitely was. And again, it's one of those things where like you're in the moment 
and you're dealing with it. So you don't realize like how cool of a moment or a career moment that it was. But uh, I was actually just reminiscing about, and I don't know what made me think about this match, but I was thinking about it. I was having a conversation with someone about Tanahashi and like how at that time, uh, I mean, he's still such a huge name in Japan. Um, but like when they put me with him, he was like the, the John Cena of new Japan pro wrestling. Like he was, he was the guy and I'm sitting there. And like, as I look back now, a little bit older, a little bit wiser, I'm like, wow, they kind of put, they put a guy in ring of honor who was kind of like a mid carder, kind of trying to get his feet wet, trying to figure out where he fit in. And they put him against Tanahashi. I was like, wow, that's all. Like they really threw me a bone there. Um, and again, it's one of those things why I go back and I go, I hold Ring of Honor with such high regard because they put me in that position where now that match spiraled into being able to work for New Japan and I got to work the biggest star in New Japan at the time. So it was just kind of like you look back at it now that you're, you've had time to grow and time to mature and you're like, wow, that was, that was a really cool moment and I, I'm super proud that I got to do that. I was in attendance that night. It was a great show overall, but it was just kind of like cool to see like Ring of Honor was not putting, you know, anybody against anybody. They were putting the guys that they were definitely giving a push against, you know, Nakamura and obviously Okada had a big match with Elgin and AJ. So it was like, they were definitely positioning their future stars or the guys that they wanted to push against these huge, huge Japanese legends and great names. Yeah. And I think it was just such a, it was, it was such a cool idea. And I know there's always, there's always booking issues and stuff like that, but I really feel like they booked that show in a way where they were like, we're going to use these new Japan guys, star power to help our guys that were true. Like, I think that's kind of what you were saying to help our Mm -hmm. guys that are up and coming just to give them that little bit of a rub. Um, And again, that's how you do it. That's how you book. That's how you help get your guys over. Like that's the point. That's the name of the game. Um, And I just, it's it's sometimes it's so simple it it hurts my brain absolutely now as we head towards the finish we head towards the wind down been awesome talking about as long as long as you're ready i mean i I could go i could go all night because i wanted to mention this guy to you um and and let's see what you got for this steve bradley was he your trainer was that the guy who trained you because i don't think people realize he's pretty damn underrated in the annals of wrestling i hopefully not forgotten i mean you'd hope but was he a big part of your training or was it more brutal bob yeah no so steve uh so bob um bob got me started uh i'll always give credit to bob first and he knows that and he knows how how much i love him um he actually pulled me away kind of like from a place that wasn't training me properly and bob kind of pulled me in to be like no this is how you do it um but then through bob i actually met steve and uh, Steve had an enormous impact on my life uh, just from the way he wrestled. He, he just kind of like blew my mind to professional wrestling. Uh, I, I don't know how else to explain it. It's one of those things that you just have to experience it to realize what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, he, he brought me up to shows that he was running and I just, I, I pretty much idolized him. I looked up to him, everything he did. I based so much of my wrestling style off of what, he did and who he was. Um, and yeah, he, and, and it, it, it hurts my soul that he's not recognized more. Uh, it's kind of been my, my journey as I, you know, gain more uh, name power or name recognition in wrestling to bring more name recognition to him. 
I always try to bring his name up whenever I can because he's a guy he, – he was set to be a huge star, uh, and he just didn't get the break he deserved. But there's so many guys that know him and give him credit. You could, He helped train Kurt Angle, and Kurt even mentioned him in his Hall of Fame speech. Um, and anyone who was anybody at that time at OVW in Memphis, in Heartland, um, Steve was the guy. Everyone knew it. Steve was the man down there. And I just, uh, if I have one more goal in this industry, it's to get his name out there and for people to remember and recognize just how good that man truly was. And really, I mean, he kind of passed away right as you were kind of getting a big, not a big push, but this was kind of your 2008 was kind of when you were coming into Ring of Honor, really starting to make a name for yourself. Was that tough for you when, when that was going on? You know, it, it, that whole time in my life was tough, but losing Steve sucked. There was a lot of guys in New England that lost a, a, a trainer, a mentor, and there's a lot of guys that lost a friend. Um, and so that was difficult. But there was one moment I remember when I did my um, uh, Ring of Honor tryout, and Kevin Kelly, who's another phenomenal human being who I will uh, speak nicely of for the rest of my life, and he's a dear friend. He, I remember I did the tryout, and he pulled me aside, and he's like, I just want you to know that if Steve was still alive, I guarantee you Ring of Honor is where he'd be working right now because that was him. That was his attitude. That was his style. And once Kevin told me that, I was like, well, now it's Ring of Honor or bust. I want to be where Steve's at, dead or alive. I want to be where Steve's at. And so, um, yeah, that, that was always just a moment to me where I remember Kevin telling me that because Kevin was good friends with Steve too. And so it just, uh, that always hit home with me. And, and then the more I thought about it and watched Steve's style, I was like, absolutely. He would, he would have been a Ring of Honor guy. And it, there's matches. You can go back and watch him in matches at, like, uh, the Super 8 against, like, Christopher Daniels and guys that were in Ring of Honor. So it's actually really cool to think about that. Yeah, and those you know, those awesome kind of New Jersey guys that I love, like Ace Darling and Devin yes. Storm, like those kind of guys. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, all those guys. That yeah, that absolutely. As far as Brutal Bob, he you said you had some other training before, and he kind of pulled you away from the bad training. How did like how did he find out? How did he find you? So he uh, there he was close to it. Uh, it was like location wise, he was running shows and a school out of Providence, Rhode Island. Um, And I was going to a school in New Bedford, Massachusetts, which if you know anything about the New England area, those are pretty close to each other, probably within like 30 minutes, 25, 30 minutes. So like everyone in that area knows what's going on. And so a bunch of guys that I was training with at this one place uh, were going to Bob's every so often. And they were like, you should come along. I came along one night and Bob accepted everyone in and he just blew my mind. And I remember talking with it and talking with him. He's like, you know, you should really start coming here. And to me, it was like, yep, that's where I got to go. Cause Bob knows what he's talking about. Brutal Bob been around, like you said, ran around the block forever. Still, still going strong. I love that man to death. I really do. He, I, he's just, I call him coach because again, he took me in when I was like 17 or 18 and he, there, a lot of this wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for Bob, and I owe him so much. Now, I call this my generic question because I, I love throwing it out because you just never know the answer you're going to get. I remember I asked this to Barry Horowitz, and he literally went on for 20 minutes. So <laughs> do, you, 
do you have like a favorite match or a favorite opponent or favorite matches, favorite opponent? Like, do you have, I know it's kind of like, like a generic thing, but it's always interesting because you never know what the, what the wrestler is going to say or what they're going to think. Right. Uh, you know, to me, there's so many guys I enjoy getting there in there, getting in there with, but I don't know why it just comes to my mind instantly when I think about that. It's the Briscoe brothers at ring of honor. Uh, some of my favorite matches with me and Taven against them. Like I said, those were two guys that I knew when we got in the ring, we were going to beat the living hell out of each other and then apologize when we came to the back. Um, and we did one match that always sticks out to me. It was in Atlanta. It was a two out of three falls match where it was like each fall was a gimmick. Um, and so, and I just remember Taven ended up getting, uh, accidentally busted his head open. The crowd was just red hot. The finish was so much fun where we gave me and Taven gave the Briscoes their doomsday device, but we were on the floor and I held up Mark Briscoe and Taven did like the big undertaker dive to the floor on top of him, And I flipped him out. Like it was just one of those matches where like everything went right. Everything came together. And I don't know, I just, and I think so highly of those two individuals as like wrestlers, but as men and as friends that like, it just was every time I was in the ring with them, I feel like they made me a better wrestler and I couldn't wait to get in the ring with them the next time. Uh, even the singles matches I had against Mark and like, I had some, some fun uh, singles matches against Mark and some fun single matches against Jay. Um, yeah. I just, those two guys, I, I, I'm dying to work them again right now. So it's like I, I, I'm getting excited thinking about like, oh, there's a possibility at some point in the next year or so I could go there and work with those guys. That would be fantastic. Uh, and I'm getting excited about it again. So it's definitely those two guys. Ring of Honor, hopefully they're listening. You get, let's, you know, let's make this happen again. <laughs> now, as far as, you know, you're talking about you're watching some old Japan. Did you like actually your time in New Japan? You were in the 2014 and 15 with Taven in the World Tag League. Did you like it? Because you're saying you like the style. Did you enjoy your time over there at New Japan? Yeah, you know, I did. Uh, for Just to get that out of the way, I absolutely did love it over there. I don't think, I talk about this a lot, I don't think I appreciate it as much as I would now. Um, I've became an even more, uh, an even bigger Japanese wrestling fan over like the course of the last, I don't know, four or five years. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. But I think like to me now, Japanese wrestling is, is it's just, I love it. It, 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 it. I watch it every single night. It's, it's just, it's, it's this style that I've slowly started to fall in love with that I wasn't 100% in love with before. But now I've like, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I always shot to be that WWE guy. And now I'm like, I don't want to be that guy anymore because it's miserable and I hate it. And like, the Japanese wrestling always brings out fond memories uh, for me. So like, yeah, it's, uh, I feel like my main goal now is to get back there and go back to Japan and to be that wrestler over there that I know I can't be. And that I should have been before, but my, I feel like I didn't appreciate it enough, uh, in the moment. Uh, I felt like I was respectful. I knew I was given a good opportunity and I did everything I could, but I just don't think I appreciated the opportunity or appreciated everything I could have for being over there. Do you have like any regrets in the business kind of looking back, maybe not going to WWE, doing something different? Do you have regrets? 
You know, I, I, regrets is such a hard word because I'm a firm, like, not to get, like, all spiritual on you or anything like that about how I live my life, but I'm a firm believer that all parts of your life lead up to what you're going into next. Um, I would like to say I regret going to WWE, but the last three years, I got clean and sober. I had two kids. I bought a house. Like, I... As a, as a human being, as a man, as a husband, and as a father, my three years at WWE, I grew more in that aspect of my life than anywhere else. Now, professionally, it, it sucked. I hated it every single day. But personally, I don't think I could have asked for a better three years. And not only that, but it also taught me about what I want out of life and what I don't want out of life. And I realized, like, no, you're actually in love with professional wrestling you're not in love with WWE sports entertainment, hokey BS type crap. You actually love professional wrestling. And I wouldn't have figured that out. I don't think had I not been through three years of, uh, of being at WWE and realizing this is not what I want at all. This might work for some people, but this isn't what I fell in love with. And this isn't what I love to do. Um, So I don't, again, I, I don't, I don't like regrets. I guess, Maybe I wouldn't have re-signed that contract and I would have just gone and hopefully signed somewhere else. But again, hindsight's twenty twenty, And again, I learned a lot in those months. I learned a lot about standing up for myself. I learned a lot about sticking to your guns. I learned a lot about going and getting what you want, and what you deserve. So I like to see the silver lining in everything. And so even in like this pandemic, somehow there's a silver lining. I'm still searching for it. But there's a silver lining somewhere, and I'll be damn sure to find it. But I regret it's hard for me because I think it, it builds up calluses. It, it, it makes you who you are as a human being. Now, as far as you, where do you see yourself in a couple of years? I know you're 35, you're still young, but I mean, UWN growing, NWA, Ring of Honor, uh, Impact Wrestling, New Japan. Where do you see yourself maybe just in a couple of years? Where do you want to see yourself? You know, I want. Uh, my main goal is to have completely flipped the script on how people see me as a wrestler. That's my main goal. I want people to look and be like, I want to, I, when people talk about the best wrestlers in the world at the time, I want to be on that list. And I want people to be like, when they see Mike Bennett versus whoever, they know that they're in for uh, best match of the night, best match of the year, because for a long time, that's not how people perceive me. And that's on me. That that's, that's how I the, the the amount of work I put in and stuff like that and the preparation I put in. I'm 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 a different person now and I'm a hundred percent committed to like everything I do. And my wife can attest to this. I'm I'm borderline obsessed with watching wrestling right now and changing my style and turning people's perception of who they think I am into who I actually am. Um so that's really my main goal. Uh I've learned that once I focus on myself and try to fix myself, other things happen as opposed to just trying to be like, I want to go work for this company. And that's my main goal. I'm just putting out into the universe. I want to be the best professional wrestler I can be and then see where that takes me. And of course, the United Wrestling Network, UWN primetime live every Tuesday and you get it on a fight TV, or if you prefer, in demand, the old school pay per view. If you prefer that route as well, right? I mean, that's that's uh, interesting uh, as well. In demand is is you know, circuit, I think. <laughs> yeah, in demand. It's funny. It's like when I used to order pay per views back in the day. You know, in demand was huge. So it's great. To see right, they're, they're still kicking. 
still alive, maybe on life support, but they're still doing it. Yes. Now, as far as you give us uh, all your social media plugs where everybody can kind of, you know, reach out and uh, grab you, if you will. Yeah. Um, Twitter and, excuse me, Twitter and Instagram is where I spend most of my time on social media. So on Twitter, it's at real Mike Bennett. And then um, on Instagram, it's at the real Michael Bennett. So if you follow me on there, uh, I have Facebook, but it's private. So I just try to do Facebook for family and friends and stuff like that. I figure two platforms is is plenty enough for people to reach out and talk to me. Absolutely. And awesome stuff. Appreciate all the time tonight. And good luck against Davey Boy Smith Jr. in the UWN World Title Tournament. Should be a good one. I appreciate you. Thank you for uh, having me on so I can ramble and talk your ear off. <laughs> hey, anytime. We've got to have you back. I mean, you've got uh, so much good stuff. So Definitely, definitely. man. I'm, I'm an open book. So whenever you want me back, I'm sure – I'm sure this interview will piss some people off, but like I said, I'm an open book, and I I don't know any other way but to be brutally honest. So, uh, yeah, anytime, man. Love it. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Definitely, dude. Thank you for having me. Have yourself a great night. Thank you so much. Will do, man. Take care. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.